Auburn Football Podcast is back uh, with another episode. Today is going to be all about the Brian Harson offense. We're going to break it down using a ton of stats. It'll be the best breakdown that you've heard uh, that's out there. I promise you that. But if you uh, if you like what I do, uh, you know, give me a rating, give me a review. I'd love to hear your feedback. Uh, reach out on Twitter at AU Football Pod if you want. But uh, but yeah, had a lot of fun making this one. Hopefully you enjoy. It. Thanks. So Brian Harson has now been Auburn's head coach um, for, what, about a week or so. Um, he officially is, you know, taking over the program as of today. I'm recording this on Saturday um, the 2nd, so the day after the horrific um, but expected and, and really not super, um, I would say, damning for the Auburn football program. Their loss yesterday to Northwestern. We'll get into that a little bit, um, but today the whole purpose is to really unpack and analyze Boise State's offensive production from a statistical standpoint, uh, make a lot of comparisons to Auburn, um, you know, it, during Gus Malzahn's tenure since 2013, and, you know, use this information to project, of course, and try to think about, um, you know, what Harson is bringing to the table as an offensive coach. All right, so I have a lot of different, a ton of different um, kind of, you know, points to break down. So to run through what we'll cover today, um, first downs, I think this is a really important metric to use. Scoring, of course, uh, and now more than ever, because pretty much, you know, if you're not score, if you're not accumulating at least 400 yards a game uh, at this point, then you know you're really not doing anything. Most really successful offenses are putting up at least <clears throat> 450 yards plus. Um, so, as you know, and again, this is not my my take. Uh, I don't own this take. This is not proprietary to me. But everybody knows now that from a defensive standpoint, okay, you can't limit these offenses from putting up a lot of yards. But uh, what you try to do on defense is limit people. From, you know to scoring a bunch of points so offensively scoring is a very important metric so we're going to break that down uh, we're going to break down yards um, you know yards a game passing yards rushing yards we're going to break down quarterback ratings um, we're going to break down pass plays of 10 yards plus which is a pretty sh- a telling metric in my opinion third down percentage red zone percentage and then a few just kind of random random notes um, that I've found so all of this we are going to break down, we're going to use to, again, project and look at, you know, based on this information, what does Brian Harson like to do? How is his offense built um, compared to what we've seen Auburn do in the Gus Malzahn tenure? So really where I wanted to start, um, and this is kind of a specific, this is really something that I would have closer to the end of today's episode where I have some random notes, but I wanted to start with tight ends because I feel like there's a lot of like misconception, misnomers, like, you know, people are labeled as tight end guys and all this kind of stuff. The first point is you can have a very successful offense and not have your tight end be, you know, a a vital part of what you do. Um, A good example would be, you know, Alabama's offense this year is just ridiculous. Um, And we'll we'll actually use some of their statistical production uh, points to just kind of, say, hey, look, this is like what the top is, right? And then 
you can use that to see where Boise has been, where Auburn has been. But, um, you know, Alabama's tight end right now, Jalil Billingsley, who's really more of like a um, – I mean, he's a new age prototype athlete. But he's not your, you know, he's not your classic tight end, uh, you know, body wise and, and how, how 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 they use him especially. They use him in the screen game. They use him in, um, you know, obviously like play actions a lot of times and all this kind of stuff. So, um, you know, and he, I don't, I haven't looked his statistics up, but he, he definitely has, he definitely doesn't have more than like twenty receptions. Okay, I would, I would pretty much bet on that. But um, just using him in Alabama as an example, like you. You don't have to have a really good tight end to be a really good offense. It helps a lot. Um, you know, it helps a lot with matchups because if you have tight ends, I mean, the first thing that comes to my head is actually what Notre Dame does. Now, Notre Dame just finished getting destroyed by Alabama, but everybody pretty much has gotten destroyed by Alabama this year. But, you know, Notre Dame will run a play with three tight ends in the game. So they'll have, like, everybody pretty, you know, in close, um, you know, Two of them will be on the line. One will be in like a wing position, and they'll just run either, you know, a zone or a dive or just something like that. But if the defense and we've talked about this, but if the defense substitutes um, and puts more of like a heavier package out there, then if you have three tight ends that can all run routes and get open against linebackers, well, then you have an advantage in the passing game. But you also probably have an advantage in the run game because you've got three guys that are probably you know two forty, two fifty plus. Um, especially if a defense stays in a sub package to defend your tight ends in the passing game, right? So it, it can help a lot when you do have tight ends that can block and that can, you know, be effective in the passing game. So, yes, it helps. No, it doesn't mean everything, okay? So we'll start there. Now, I was talking about misconceptions and misnomers. You know, we got fed, we got fed a lot of stuff um, over, you know, really over Gus Malzahn's tenure in general, but especially – Recently, um, you know, Chad Morris coming in as a quote-unquote, you know, tight end guy, a guy that uses tight ends. Well, here's what's kind of interesting. So a lot of, you know, Morris's quote-unquote tight end, you know, guy status was uh, accredited based on what he did at Clemson. Well, okay, he was the offensive coordinator in 2011, 2012, 2013, and 14. Okay, so 11, 12, 13, and 14, he was OC. Now, in 2011, he had Dwayne Allen, and he had 50 receptions, and that's that's great production for that's outstanding production uh, from a tight end. Okay, 2012, he had Ford, I think Jerome Ford, 40 receptions. Okay, now in 13, when you would think that you know his third season as offense coordinator, it's you know settling into you know he's recruited and he's going to kind of build around the players, and his scheme would be you know what you would think would be his ultimate scheme, right? So in 13, uh, Seckinger had 20 run receptions for 244, so uh, almost half of the production from the year prior. In 2014, Leggett, who ended up being really good, um, only had 14 receptions for 164 or 161, okay? So the last two years at Clemson, Morris's tight ends, you know, leading receivers in that position had 21 and 14 receptions. Now, the next year, in 2015, when uh, Jeff Scott and the current OC, um, whose name is escaping me for some reason, Tony Elliott, they took over as co-offensive coordinators in 15, and Leggett ended up having 40 receptions for 525. Okay, so that's the year after he had only 14 with Chad Morris as offensive coordinator. Now, 
Then he took uh, Morris took the uh, head coaching job in 2015 at SMU. Not one reception recorded from the tight end position. All right. In 2016, his tight end Gaines had 10 receptions for 117. In 2017, leading tight end Beck had two catches for 30 yards. All right. So nothing about any of that tells me that he's a tight end guy. He's a guy who like you know, insists on using that position, that positional group as, you know, a component of his offense to develop mismatches, et cetera, all right? I didn't look up what he did at Arkansas. It doesn't really matter. They were, you know, they didn't win an SEC game. They were not competitive, so, you know, I don't really care that much. They did have a good tight end um, at Arkansas, but, I mean, either way, none of this would tell you that he is a tight end guy, all right? Compare it uh, to what – Boise's offenses have done under Brian Harson. Okay, uh, you've got in 2019 Bates. Uh, and of course, we're not going to use 2020 a ton today, just because it's such a strange season. But in 2019, their leading tight end had 22 catches for 273 yards. They had 40 catches from the tight end group uh, in total. Okay, so 40 receptions came from the tight end position. In 2018, Blakely had 17 for 89. 2017, Jake Rowe had 39 for 410 yards. 16, Denines or something had uh, 15 catches for 119. Um, that was Ripon's best season, uh, passed for 3,700 yards and 24 touchdowns. Um, in 2016, their guy who had the really good year in 17, Jake Rowe, uh, he was injured. So. That's why he had a little bit of a drop off in 16. But um, this just goes to show you, like, I'm not, I'm not saying that Harson is going to come in and just start, you know, he's going to make your tight end position be super productive. And really, we know that that's not the point of a coach anyway, is to force a certain position group to have a lot of production. The best thing you can do is take the players that you do have on your roster and and obviously develop a system, develop an offensive philosophy around the players that you have, okay? But this does show you in general, especially, you know, years into a coach's tenure, if they think they can utilize a tight end position, you would think they would recruit guys. That way you have that guy on your roster. That way you can develop your offensive system around those guys, right? I mean, that has to make sense. So, um it seems like Harson has done that more, obviously, than like a Chad Morris, and, and definitely more than Gus Malzahn. Um, so that to me is encouraging. But I really just wanted to start there, just because it feels like that's what everybody's talking about. Like somehow our head coach has been condensed down to like we only care how much you use your tight ends because we just think that's like the most important thing in the world. It is. It helps a lot, but it's not the most important thing in the world. I think one part of it, too, is that fans look at our tight end group, especially with Grant Calcaterra coming in, and we think that's a position that we could utilize a lot more. And I would say that this would show you that we probably will use it, utilize it a lot more. Okay, um, You know, we, we can go into, like, how good some of those guys are. Like, Frazier, you know, I, he looked a lot better on film in high school than he did in person. You know, and who knows why that was. He, he, he wore a shoulder, you know, thing, so he could have been injured and out of shape maybe or whatever. So hopefully a, a full uh, offseason in the weight program will turn that guy into a monster with uh, Calcaterra, Luke Deal, et cetera. And then I know we have a freshman coming in from Texas that could be pretty good. So 
anyway, I just want to start there because it seems like that's what everybody likes to talk about, tight end, tight end, tight end. Um, what I can tell you is that along with the statistics that would, you know, that would indicate that Harson does like to utilize the position, from going and watching film, just, you know, they use the tight ends creatively is what I would say. It's, it's not just about, you know, hey, go – some people call it an OTB route, like an over-the-ball route, where you kind of, you know, you just kind of come off the line, get in front of the center, sit down, and then you catch a pass and you get five or six yards, whatever. Like, they're throwing screens to tight ends. They're obviously getting involved in the play-action passing game. They're, you know, letting them run intermediate routes, letting them run um, down the seams and trying to catch it behind the linebackers and all that kind of stuff. So just from watching film, it seems like they are utilized. Um, now that kind of gets me into a, an area where, you know, I, I don't know that a lot of people really understand offensive football. And, and, and I guess what I mean by that is saying that we want receivers or tight ends or anybody to like catch the ball over the middle more, right? You hear that a lot too from Auburn fans. We want to see, you know, we never throw it over the middle. Okay. Well, you know, don't get yourself in trouble watching a football game like that by thinking that, you know, we got to force the ball over the middle. What you're supposed to do is you're supposed to read, a lot of times, the rotations of the safeties, okay, because that will pretty much tell you what defense they're in, meaning in a very simple, you know, analysis, if it's single high safety, okay, that means if there is one safety that's at the deepest level, of the defense, then it's either cover three or cover one. Cover one's man-to-man with him being a free safety in the middle of the field, just reading everything. And cover three, obviously, is he's in the middle and then the corners are deep and then you have four guys playing underneath, two guys in the flat probably, and then two guys like, you know, kind of hook curl um, in the middle. So then based on what that is, then you know generally when you're running, you know, an offense that actually has passing concepts that if it's cover three or like a two high shell or something, even if it's quarters, whatever, if there's two guys in the middle of the field, I'm probably going to try to go here or here. And if there's one guy in the middle of the field, I'm probably going to try to go here or here. All right. That's generally kind of how throwing the football works. Okay. So what you want when you're saying, I want our offense to utilize the middle of the field more or intermediate pass game or throwing it to the tight ends or whatever is what you really want is you want an offensive system built around actually reading safeties and reading the defense. Now, what I can tell you uh, about Gus Malzahn's scheme and offense, et cetera, is he does think that a lot of the stuff they do, the window dressing, the stuff coming off of play actions, because his, his drop back passing game is almost negligible, okay? So most of his passing attempts throughout the normal proceedings of a game, so takeaway situational football, et cetera, is – off of a play action or it's a screen or whatever. So there really is like one guy that he's trying to get the ball to. So he's going to call a play based on, I think the defense is going to do this. And I think this guy is going to be open. Like I can tell you that is what he's trying to do. Um, That is totally different from a quarterback taking a snap, looking at the post-snap rotation of the safeties, and then knowing that I've got this guy and this guy, they're probably going to be my two options based on, what the defense is doing post snap. Okay. So just want to kind of lay that foundation where 
you know, if we do utilize the field, the middle of the field more, if we do utilize our tight ends more next year, it, it, it will be because Harson's system is, is going to develop a quarterback in a way to read the defense and then make decisions based on, you know, the highest probability of a guy being open or having the best chance of receiving the football. Okay. All right. So I'm excited about that. And then, you know, we can talk a little bit about scheme. This is mostly about stats, okay, so today's episode. But we can talk a little bit about scheme. You know, I've heard a lot of um, – and, and let me let me kind of say this too. Nobody watched – no Auburn people watched enough film on Brian Harson to really be able to articulate or break down, like, everything that he does, okay? You can watch highlights and all this kind of stuff, but, I mean – it takes a lot of time to really go back and look at, okay, what is really, what is his system trying to do? I mean, imagine, um, you know, how many hours have you watched Auburn play uh, as an Auburn fan in Gus Malzahn's tenure since 2013? How many hours have you watched? I mean, incalculable probably, right? So now just trying to go watch, you know, two or three 10 minute highlight, uh, you know, tapes on YouTube. 30 minutes total over his entire tenure since 2014, you're not going to have a total understanding, right, of everything he does. You can get the gist maybe, but it takes a lot of time to do that. Now, I've tried to do, do that to the best of my ability. I've watched some full games to really understand, like, what how they were trying to attack defenses. I've watched a lot of highlights and all that kind of stuff. But I feel like I have a pretty good understanding um, of what they do, and I, I'm very excited because, you know, one thing that we didn't see a lot from Malzahn's offenses uh, is simple passing offense, like schematics and concepts, okay? So what I mean by that is what's, like, some of the simplest concepts and things to run uh, in the passing game? We've got stick, right? Stick concept where it's typically three by one. Somebody's going to run the flat. Somebody's going to run the stick, which is typically an option route, and then somebody's going to run the go, all right? And then you probably have a slant or whatever you want backside, Okay. Uh, Boise runs a lot of stuff like that. They run sticks out of multiple, you know, formations, motions, etc. That you you need you need to be able to run those foundational passing plays, curl flat, okay, uh, dagger routes, so a seam and a dig behind it, uh, you know, uh, crossers and mesh concepts, and um, you know, levels like a shallow dig concept. I mean, if Auburn had a concept, it was post dig. That's it you know, for the most part. And then, I mean, tell me tell me what concept you've seen us, like, really rely on in the passing game. Because I've watched pretty much every play since 2013, and I can't really think of one concept that we've want, run, you know, effectively, consistently. I mean, we run slants. Most of them are off of RPOs, okay? Um, we used to run that little, like, open hitch route, and we don't do a lot of that anymore. Um, again, I mean, I, you know, there's not a lot of like concepts in the passing game that we've run effectively and efficiently, uh, and consistently. Okay. So I'm excited just to have simple kind of foundational, it should be very elementary and it should be easy for our guys to execute because it's like, let's, let's freaking rep stick as a concept all day today. Let's rep curl flat. So you know what you're reading. So we know where you're looking based on the post-snap rotation of safety. So you know, like, you know, I'm reading this flat defender, you know, all that kind of stuff. Like, that's what makes you good uh, at executing 
concepts consistently against many different types of defenses, against many different types of coverage, et cetera. Okay, so that's what I'm more excited about more than anything. More more than, you know, this sexy, like complicated, you know, I think how people envision Sark's offense, which is still, you know, you have to start with the basics of the passing game. And I don't think we have ever done that um, with with Gus Malzahn. So anyway, a little bit of a little bit of um, you know strategy there. But again, today's mostly about statistics and and here's where I want to go with it. So we're going to start with first downs and first downs are very important. All right, because it, it, it tells you how you how well you can control the ball, but it also tells you how well you can control the ball in the run game and the pass game, okay? Because these first downs, and I use cfbstats.com as my references um, for all this information. So if you're ever kind of want to nerd out on this stuff, cfbstats.com is, uh, is fantastic. So first downs. So I'm going to go like from 2019 and then 18, 17, 16, 15, 14. All right, so, um, you know, as, as a general rule, like, just so you know, in 2019, Alabama had 318 first downs. In 2020, just for reference, they've had 308. They've only played 11 games. That's just insane. Anyway, they had 318 in 2019 as, you know, probably the second best offensive football behind LSU. So 318 is very good. Anything around 300 is, is pretty solid, okay? So uh, in 19, Boise State had 318, the same as Alabama. In 18, they had 314, then 296, 300, 344 and 15, and 338 and 14. So good production, good, you know, good production in the first down category, okay? Um, now, of those first downs, in 19, 54% were passing, and then 57%, 60%, 60%, 60%, and 54%. So, I mean, very consistently between 54%, 60% of the first downs were passing first downs, all right? So first downs obviously uh, attained by throwing the football. All right. Um, Auburn, on the other hand, uh, again, going from 2019 back to 2013, they've had 279, 265, 312, 286, 257, 314 and 334 uh, in 2013. So, um, just from a total standpoint, Boise obviously is is consistently averaging many more first downs uh, year over year than Auburn. Um, of Auburn's first downs, 47 47%, 47%, 44%, 36%, 39%, 43%, and then in 2013, 28%, okay? of those first downs came from the passing game. So that's an obvious juxtaposition, somewhere between 54 and 60% from Boise, somewhere between, I don't know what you'd say, 38 to 42% for Auburn. So just from what you're gonna see, okay, you're gonna see a totally different approach to football. Now that doesn't mean Boise State doesn't run the football, we'll get to that in a second, but you know, so many more of their first downs are coming in the passing game uh, than what we've been used to, okay? Not once was Auburn at 50% converting first downs through the passing game compared to their run game, all right? Another little interesting note, um, you know, getting first downs through penalties, I think that's interesting. Boise averages 21 per year and Auburn has averaged 17, but in 2013, 14, and 15, and 16 in Auburn, they had 15, 10, 10, and 16. 
Boise always had around 20, 20 plus uh, first downs coming through penalties. What that tells me is, honestly, what it tells me is, again, it just reflects the fact that you're throwing the ball a lot more. Because if you get a first down through penalty, most of the time it's probably coming through pass interference, defensive pass interference, right? So that's another little kind of you know interesting note. Um, I like I, I like what that shows me. Okay, it shows me that you know when you go watch you know Boise State highlights, you go watch their tape, you go watch their film. They're throwing the ball a lot, okay, and and they're successful in the passing game. They're pretty efficient, you know. They, they have pretty high uh, completion percentages, and they are able to get first downs through the passing game. So that just confirms what you see. All right, that's going to be a huge change from what we've seen, uh, you know, during the Gus Malzahn tenure. All right, now in scoring, okay, again, scoring is very important because everybody's put up yards, and you know you have to be able to score to win in football, right? As reference points, in 2019, um, Alabama had 47.2 points per game. 2020 this year, so ridiculous, 49.7. So they're averaging 50 points a game this year. It's just insane. And an SEC-only schedule, that's unbelievable. But um, And, again, I'm not making these comparisons to Alabama because I think that's where we need to be. I'm just saying that's kind of have been the top the last couple years. So – if you know that you know the top is upper 40s to 50, then you know you know you can kind of compare in your mind um, how close Boise and Auburn have been. So anyway, again, going from 2019, going backwards to 2014, Boise had 35, 35, 33, 34, 39, and then 40 and 14. So their best two years were 14 and 15, and really pretty much offensively as a whole, their best two years production-wise. We're 14 and 15, okay? And we'll, we'll talk about that more in a second as well. So I looked at the conference ranking for this metric for scoring and also the national ranking. So in, uh, in 19, well, basically every year in the Mountain West Conference, Boise was one or two, except for in 16, they were number six in scoring offense, all right? Uh, that compared to Auburn, Auburn was number three, eight, four, six, eight, four, and two in scoring in the SEC, all right? Um, so nationally, okay, Boise was 19, 20, 36, 33, uh, 15, and 9. So those are all around, you know, 36 or better ranking nationally. Probably average was around 20. Um, Auburn was 28, 48, 25, 49, 74, 27, and 12. So more of a, like a 40 to 45 average uh, nationally. So Again, those would indicate um, an increase in scoring. I'm not going to unpack that too much. Let's go to yards. Um, now you've got yards per game, which is you know the metric that you have to use because obviously if you play more or less games, then that's going to affect your total yardage output. So you've got total yards a game, passing yards a game, run, and obviously you know r- rush yards a game. Um, now you know they had. 429, 460, 406, 473, 501, and 494. Again, 14 and 15 being their two uh, best seasons at Boise. Uh, so they averaged 461 over that time, yards per game. Uh, 284 of that average was in the air. 176 of that average was on the ground. All right. Again, in 14 and 15, their two best years, they averaged uh, 280 passing yards a game, 214 rushing yards a game. That's in 14. 310 passing yards a game uh, in 15 and 191 rushing yards per game. So they're still pretty balanced, okay? Um, 
Now, Auburn, you know, they go 407, 390, 452, 441, which is surprising in 16 yards per game because, I mean, you know, 16 was was tough. 370 and 15, that was the worst year. Uh, 14 and 13, they had 485 and 501. So the average over that span was 435 compared to 461 for Boise. Um, of that 435 average, 202 passing yards per game. Okay, that's compared to 284 from Boise. 234 average rushing yards per game compared to Boise's 176. All right, so that's going to be, again, all this is doing is confirming that there's going to be a big change in what we see uh, every game from, from Har- Harson's, you know, philosophy with Auburn football. So, um, again, as a comparison, you know, the, the top offenses in the country are consistently around 500 yards per game. Uh, this year, Alabama had 400, or excuse me, 544 yards of offense per game uh, averaging, and then in 19, last year, they had 511. So, um, you know, Boise has averaged 461, Auburn's averaged 435, so better just raw production and a lot more production in the pass game and, a, and a, you know, a decent amount less in the, in, the, in the run game. So, But still, to me, I mean, you know, in the run game, look, I, I said, you know, in general, you want to average 450 yards plus a game, right? All right, well, if you break that down, if you get 250 or so through the air and 200 on the ground, there's your 450. So that'll fluctuate a little bit. Maybe you'll have 300 yards through the air and 150 on the ground. Again, or, you know, 250 in the air, 200 on the ground. But, you know, if you have around 200 yards rushing a game, that's really good, and that's a really good balance because you're going to have somewhere between, you know, if you're successful, you're going to have somewhere between 250 and 300 yards passing every game. Just have to do that. So, um, anyway, it looks like you know Harson will still be balanced, um, and we'll talk about how he incorporates the running backs even in the passing game. Uh, but it looks like we should we should see a, a statistical uptick, um, you know, across the board. First down, scoring yards. Um, you know, we should we should just have a lot more raw production. Absolutely. Now, um, QBR was an interesting metric just because, you know, after looking through a lot of these stats, uh, you know, again, not comparing Alabama because I think we should be there, but looking, it's like, all right, Boise in 2019 had the same amount of first downs that Alabama had, okay? So it's the same amount of first downs Alabama had in 2019, but they scored almost, well, yeah, 13 less points per game okay so what that tells you is if you look at like an efficiency rating so how efficient your offense is at scoring per possession obviously Alabama's was much higher Uh, Boise scored a lot less but got the same amount of first downs so you know what does that mean it probably means there's a lot less big plays which we're going to look at that as well uh, which makes sense because Alabama had a ton of big plays last year and this year obviously Um, so you know, take that how you want to, but from a ball control standpoint, and to me, from just an every down execution standpoint, um, Boise, you know, is very consistently right up there in the kind of the top class of where you want to be with just getting first downs in, in, the, in the game. So, although it's going to be a lot more passing, uh, we're going to have a lot more, you know, just better offense to look at I think I think it's still going to be a ball control type of offense 
you know, end every possession in a kick type of thing. So a punt, field goal, or an extra point. Um, and just, you know, try to execute consistently. Now there's one metric that we'll get to in a second, and that's a third down conversion percentage that I think speaks to that as well, just like executing consistently. But we'll talk about that in a second. So here's QBR again, you know, going back to why I, was, I started seeing this. I just I started seeing some different things where I was like, okay, well, there's – got to be different metrics to, to kind of see, all right, well, how, like, effective and efficient is your quarterback beyond just the raw stats, okay? Um, so QBR, uh, I looked at 2020 just because it's like, well, you know, even though this is a weird year, it's still, again, it's an efficiency rating uh, more than it is a raw statistical rating. So um, in 2020, and this is as a quarterback unit, but they do a good job of, like, if you have a quarterback with a, you know, 200-something rating, but he only had five attempts, then they do a good job of, like, factoring that in. So, um, in 2020 this year, their QBR uh, as a quarterback group was 142. Um, and just for reference, that ranks 45th nationally. So, what you have seen, too, is a big uptick in quarterback rating um, since, you know, since this time. And, it, and it's crazy because if, if you go back and look, and, like, here's a good example. In 2016 – the QBR for Boise um, was 161, and that was ninth nationally. 161 this year would have been, you know, 30, 40 nationally, something like that. Okay, so, um, and it, it really even over just the last, like, two, three seasons, and somebody could write, probably write a really good article about this, the uptick in QBR has just been insane. And that just tells you, and it makes sense if you watch a lot of college football, the passing offenses have just exploded into these, you know, kind of entities that it's kind of like, you know, the different trends like spread offenses and kind of how the, you know, zone read took over for a little while, et cetera. So, again, these things always correct themselves, but just a little side note there. So, 142 uh, this year, 146 last year, 156, 147, 161, which, again, was the best uh, in 2016, number nine nationally. 139 and 15, 155 and 14. So their average was, you know, it was 45, 37, 10, 25, 9, 41 and 13. Their average was probably, you know, mid 20s nationally ranked as QBR. Um, Auburn's was number 90, 90th nationally this year in QBR, 122, 89 last year, um, 51 and 18, 13 and 17. So that was um, that was a, a good rating in 17. Uh, 54, then 79th, number 8 in 14, and number 24 in 13. Okay, now t 13 definitely was skewed a lot, okay, because we hardly threw the ball at all. Um, 14 was skewed a little bit because we didn't throw the ball as much, but we did have a lot of statistical you know, production when we did throw the ball, and that's why it was number 8 nationally in 2014 with a 157 QBR, okay? Um, again, average – You've seen, you know, in the 60s for Auburn, 70s, and, again, maybe mid-20s uh, QBR for Boise State. Now, you know, people have tried to talk about Harson's, you know, quarterback coaching and all this kind of stuff. Um, obviously, everything is better. His every, Everything about his offensive system is better for the quarterback that plays in it, okay? Um, how good he is, at, you know, and using – Auburn's current situation, Bo Nix, as, you know, the example, how good Harson is at 
coaching things like pocket presence or, you know, footwork, um, you know, arm angles and, and, and posturing, um, that really technical stuff. I mean, I don't know. Okay. I didn't play quarterback for him. I don't know. Um, that's something I'm going to try to find out, but I don't know about that stuff. But on the other side of, of really what you can do as a coach to help your quarterback, it's going to be so much better for any quarterback that plays for Brian Harson than it was for Gus Malzahn. Okay, he's going to teach you about defenses. He's going to be, teach you how to read defenses. And I know this from not only the statistical production, but, again, all the film you watch, the quarterbacks are making decisions, and you can tell that they're making decisions based on what they're seeing the defense do. Okay, so if it's cover two, you're seeing a lot of throws over the middle. You're seeing like whole shot attempts on the sideline in between the you know flat corner and the two high safety stuff like that. If it's um, cover three, you're throwing it you know outside on hitches or uh, you're you know, you're attacking flood concepts. So you got a flat uh, corner or an out and then a go and then you know it, you can just tell that the quarterbacks understand you know where they want to try to go with the football based on reading the defense. Okay, so that's going to be a better. Thing for any quarterback that plays in this system than it was the you know past few years. Here's a little note. Um, Harson's quarterbacks at Boise, you had Hedrick and Rippin. They improved their QBR from year one to year two. Bachmeyer declined in 20, but he also missed like uh, a bunch of games this year. I think probably for COVID, that's what I kind of found. So that's kind of a hard, um, you know, I mean, who really knows? But Malzahn, obviously, I mean, look, Knicks has regressed. Stidham regressed. Jeremy Johnson regressed. Sean White, you know, whatever you want to say. Nick Marshall, whatever you want to say. But statistically, Knicks, Stidham, and Johnson all declined from year one, year two in QBR. White and Marshall improved. But, again, it's like, I mean, did they improve what they were doing or did they just kind of have a better statistical year? Um, you know, who knows, but little anecdote there. We know Nix has gotten worse, and we know Stidham has got worse, you know, and we know Jeremy Johnson got worse um, after being in Malzahn's system. Hedrick and Rippin improved. Bachmeyer, I would bet, even without Harson next year, he'll have a good year next year. I think, you know, this year's kind of a wash. So, anyway, just a little note there. Now, moving on, and this, this is tied to, you know, QBR and just offensive production in general, but especially the passing game, okay? And I think this is probably the most – this and third down percentage, to me, are the most telling stats of what I – of reflecting what I've seen in film, okay? Pass plays of 10-plus yards. Uh, Boise State – so, again, going from 2019, 18, 17, 16, 15, 14, okay? Pass plays of 10-plus. They're ranked – this is nationally ranked, all right? 21st, 24th, 23rd, 14th, 14th, and 17th. All right, so very consistently in the top 20, you know, top 20 range for sure. All right, 21, 24, 23, 14, 14, 17. Compare this to Auburn, and this is this is so, and it really is just so telling. Because, again, what do you see us do? Screens, you know, little dinky passing routes. We we either do little dinky screens or passing routes or we just take a shot downfield and hope our quarterback either doesn't get sacked or, you know, connects. 2020, or excuse me, 2019, okay, 85th. 
2018, 93rd. Then 60th and 17, that's when you know Stidham had some pretty good production. And 16, 109th, then 99th, then 55th and 14, because Nick Marshall, you know, he had a few big games. And then in 2013, of course, we had hardly any, 110th in the country. So 85th, 93rd, 60th, 109, 109th in the country, 99th, 55th, and then 110th in the country in pass plays of 10-plus yards. Okay? So you've got a top 20 nationally ranked, you know, statistical number for pass plays 10-plus 10, 10 yards with Harson's offense at Boise, and you've got an average of what? 90th in the country? 85th maybe? So, I mean, that's just, in, that's just insane to me. And, again, it's just another statistical point that reflects what you see when you go and you watch Boise play, all right, under Harson, and you go and you have watched Auburn play like we have uh, during the Gus Malzahn era, okay? That, to me, again, is probably the most telling stat. The next, to me, most telling stat is third down percentage. So, of your third downs, how, how often do you convert, all right? Um, this is, again, national ranking, okay, in third down percentage. Starting in 2019 with Boise State, they were 10th, then 2nd, then 9th, then 13th, then 48th, and then 33rd. I think those are kind of interesting in 14 and 15 because those were – the raw stats would indicate those were the best years in 14 and 15 offensively, uh, but they were 48th and 33rd in third down conversion. So, you know, again, third down conversion is not the most important thing in the world uh, because, you know, you could have not the best third down conversion percentage – but you have so many big plays or, you know, you rarely get to third downs. And so, you know, your percentage is a little bit skewed compared to somebody else who's in third downs all the time. Now, I think, and, and here, we'll go ahead and break down Auburn's, okay? And then I'll talk about why I do think this is really important. 2019, Auburn was 60th and then 91st and 18, 15th and 17, that was a good year, okay? 53rd and 16, 52nd and 15, second in the nation in 14 and then 24th and 13th. So up and down, very inconsistent for sure, okay? But you had 60th, 91st, 15th, 53rd, 52nd, 2nd, and then 24th. So obviously much worse ranked nationally in third down conversion percentage. Now, to me, here's why this is important. Your third down percentage, your conversion percentage, more than anything reflects what you do on first and second down. So this goes back to what I was talking about, consistently executing and getting first downs, what your third what your third down conversion generally reflects. Okay, unless you have outliers like Alabama or LSU last season, where they're they're, they're so gaudy that you know, I mean, there's no need to look at their third down conversion percentage because they're just putting up so many points and so many yards. Okay, but third down percentage is typically going to reflect your first and second down execution because obviously, if 50% of your third downs are third and eight or more, well, then, of course, your third down for conversion percentage is going to be much lower, right, than if you had, you know, 75% of your third downs were third and three or less, okay? Obviously, you're going to convert a lot more third and three or less than third and eight plus, all right? So, to me, what this indicates, and it, again, you have to look at a bunch of different metrics so you can really get the full scope and the full picture to make this all make sense. Boise State has produced much 
a much higher number of first downs than Auburn has. Okay, again, over these last uh, what you know seven seasons or so, they also have a much higher third down conversion percentage. Okay, so that makes sense. You're converting more on third down. You're getting more first downs, but you're also getting more first downs, first and second down. You're also just getting more positive plays on first and second down to have a smaller third and distance that allows you to convert at a higher rate. So what have we seen a lot in the Gus Malzahn era? These big negative plays, man. Like whether it's a reverse or whether it's some dumb screen or whether it's a sack or whatever, we've had so many negative plays, okay? And I don't know if I can look at this or not. There, there may be something that I can find here. Um, and I'll kind of try to do it on the fly. But negative plays, okay? Negative plays. Let's see. Tackles for loss and sacks. I don't know if I can – yeah, I don't know if I can find this or not. Tackles for loss, is that – so I think that obviously that's got to be defense, a defensive uh, metric. So anyway, I can't find that. But, again, I think, I think this obviously um, kind of indicates whatever I would find anyway, which is just that, listen, Parsons' offense is about execution. It's fundamental. Even though, yeah, man, he, he does trick plays and stuff like that, especially in the red zone. Um, which I think is a great time to do it. Uh, just to keep the defense honest and all that kind of stuff, yeah. But what did you hear Malzahn say? Tr trick plays, are, they're not trick plays to us. They're part of our offense. Yes, that's why you had so many times those fake, you know, Statue of Liberty plays for no reason and, you know, just all this weird bullcrap stuff that I used to hate so much. We're not going to see near as much of that, and we're not going to see near as much negative plays under the Harson era, okay? So that should excite any Auburn fan. So that's third down production percentage. Now, in the red zone, and this is something that, you know, should be a little bit concerning. Uh, red zone percentage, conversion percentage in the red zone. So this is just scoring. So you're getting a field goal or a touchdown in the red zone. How often, you know? Uh, from 2019, going backwards, Boise State was 44th, 68th. Um, 89th, 60th, 60th, and 17th, all right? Now, compared to Auburn, uh, in 2019, they were actually 21st in red zone conversion percentage, which because they, you know, either got to the red zone and scored a decent amount of times, obviously, or they just didn't make it to the red zone. Um, in 18, they were 90th, and then 36th, 52nd, 15th, 32nd, and 21st. So I wouldn't say it's like a huge difference, but I also, like, can't say that Auburn has been – outstanding and you know converting in the red zone so if there is a metric that i look at you know this is a little bit beyond the raw statistics where i say you know i hope that that is not an indicator of you know a problem that we might see uh, in the future it would be this the red zone percentage now could be because um you know for whatever reason their run plays you know in the red zone haven't been successful maybe you know whatever um you know I, there's a lot of different reasons for it. Uh, it's a lot. Look, it's hard to convert in the red zone. Okay, um, so I mean, we'll see. That's just you know, that's just kind of a note where I say, you know, I hope that's not a uh, an indicator again of, of some struggles that we'll see under the you know Harson regime uh, at Auburn. But um, I've got a few more notes here. But in general, as you take all this in, okay, again, I think to me, what it shows you is you're going to see. Better execution down and down. You're going to see a lot more, I would say, throwing the ball like on first down, um, mixing it up, 
staying in ahead of the chains, as they say. Um, you're going to see way higher passing offense production just in raw statistics, but in also efficiency. And just in general, you're going to see a much higher rate of execution uh, just across the board. And obviously that's going to start and stop with the offensive line, so he's got a ton of work to do there. Um, but, you know, with the personnel that should be coming back, Bo Nix, Tank Bigsby, um, if Seth comes back, I think that would be huge. You know, Elijah Canyon had a good game in the bowl game. You got Capers and you got some young guys like Kobe Hudson. And um, I feel I still think, you know, um, uh, what is it, Javarius Johnson, I think he could be a really good player. But you got guys like Malcolm Johnson and, you know, whoever else comes in. I think you've got enough talent to work with Shivers if he's, you know, if, assuming all these guys come back, um, you know, who knows if Schwartz is going to come back or not. But you've got – Playmakers. You've got tight ends. You've got you know Calcaterra and Frazier, and if he can he can help Bo Nix, um, you know, settle in and understand defenses better. I think that'll help a ton. Um, you know, another thing, uh, another thing that you know, and, and again, these are just some notes that I have. Oh, well, the other thing that I was going to say too is. You, what you are going to see, okay, is a lot more under center stuff. And I think there's a lot of advantages of going under center. I think your play actions typically work a lot better. Um, I think it helps your – it actually helps your pass protection a lot of times. Now, that can be kind of, you know, counterintuitive because the quarterback has to, you know, take a drop and a lot of times turn their back to the defense, especially if they're on play action, obviously. But a play action from under center a lot of times can force the – pass rush either from the defensive line or linebackers to you know approach their run fit their gap and then you know then they have to kind of reset and pass rush from there or you know drop back to the whatever their zone or their man so I think that's going to be exciting seeing a lot more of that I personally think it's easier to run the ball um, from under center as well a lot of times so uh, the tracks would be a lot different um, you know for the running backs and you know so anyway that's just kind of another thing to look for a lot more under center um, you still have your jets off of that. You still have, you know, pretty much anything you want out of there, but uh, it'll be a lot different um, than what we've seen in the past. So here's some notes, and then we'll finish up. Um, I've got five different, you know, bang, 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 bang notes right here. So you've got number one, Boise has had a thousand yard rusher every year um, that Harson has been the head coach. Now, 2020, we're not counting. Okay, so obviously they didn't have a thousand yard rusher this year. Um, Auburn did until 2018. So in 2018 and 19, and then obviously this year, even though Tank Bisbee had over 800 yards, um, Auburn has not had a 1,000-yard rusher since 2017. So 18 they didn't, 19 they didn't. Okay? So just, you know, and, and, and even going back, you know, Jay Ajay and um, McNichols, Madison, some of those guys, they had like 1,700 yard, 1700 yards plus, you know, so closer to Mason and Artis Payne numbers. Um, so, again, just to kind of round out the fact that Boise is not just like an air raid passing team. They're going to be balanced. They're going to run the ball, all right? And the statistics show that. Boise has also had four 3,000-yard-plus passers, they, and three of those four were over 3,500 yards, all right? Auburn has had one that was over 3,000 yards, and it was Stidham in 17. He had 3,100. So, again, Boise's had four. 3,000-yard passers. Auburn's had one. It was Stidham in 17, 3,100. Three of the four from Boise were 3,500-plus. All right? So, again, we should see a totally different 
you know, statistical production under Harson than we had under Malzahn. All right. Just to you know reiterate that again, Boise has had four 20 plus passing touchdown seasons from their starting quarterback. Okay. Now, this is even taking into account a couple years they had. You know, one guy throw 10 and one guy throw 11 because, you know, the other guy missed games, et cetera. But they had four four years where their quarterback, their starting quarterback, had 20-plus passing touchdowns. Auburn's had one. And it's not the year that you think. It was actually in 2014. Nick Marshall had 20. Okay, exactly 20. Um, Boise's had four. Auburn's had one. And it was Nick Marshall in 14. So, again, you know, just backing up everything you see. Boise's had at least one 60-reception receiver every year okay every year in 2015 they had two 60 plus reception receivers all right auburn has had two so in the whole span auburn's had two people go over 60 receptions in a season they had four seasons with no one with even 50 receptions all right so four years in the past you know since 2013 not one receiver has had 50 or more receptions, all right? Boise had a 60-plus receiver every single year, all right, since 2014. They had two in 2015, a guy with 80-something and a guy with 60-something. So that'll look a lot different, okay? Um, you've got tight ends with more receptions. You've got running backs with more receptions, which is my last point. And, of course, you've got receivers who are going to get their hands on the ball a lot more than what we've seen. Here's my last point, um, and this is – Tank Bigsby, if you ever listen to this for any reason, okay, and any other running back that's either thinking about coming to Auburn or is still, you know, on Auburn's roster. Running backs at Boise, their reception numbers, all right? Jay Ajayi in 2014 had 51 receptions. Jeremy McNichols the next season in 15 had 51 receptions. McNichols in 16 had 37. Then Madison had 28. Madison had 27. And Halani had 26, okay? So, if nothing else, it shows you that consistently their running backs are going to have around 30 receptions in the passing game. And then, obviously, Jay Ajayi and Jeremy McNichols in 14 and 15 had 51 each receptions. So what that means is, is again, Parsons going to come in. He's going to look at what he's got. Okay, what can my running backs do well? What can my tight ends do well? What can my receivers do well? All right, I've got an answer for all of it. I have, I've, you know, Parsons had a tight end who had 40 receptions in a season. He's had two seasons where his running backs had 50-plus receptions. And he's had a receiver every single year have 60-plus receptions. So he's going to look at what we have, and he's going to design an offense to, you know, obviously help us execute play-to-play, score a bunch of points, put up a bunch of yards based on who we have and what they can do. Now, you heard all that. Auburn had, you know, Trey Mason had 12. Artis Payne had 13. Carry on had 14 and then 17 and then 24. Uh, that was in 17. And then Whitlow had 15 and Whitlow had 6. Uh, for reference, Tank had 11 this year. So obviously that's something that we haven't done a ton of. Is And, of course, if you're an Auburn fan and watched, you know that we haven't you know utilized the running back in the pass game a ton. So to me, I look at a guy like Tank Bixby, man, and, you know, in these seasons where – in 14 and 15, where Ajay had 51 receptions and McNichols had 51 receptions in 15, they both had like 1,700 yards plus rushing along with the 51 catches. It's, just, it's insane, the production that they've gotten from their running back position. So if I'm Tank Bixby, 
okay? And especially me sitting here as an Auburn fan, I'm like, dude, this guy is about to just, like, completely blow up. Like, like he might win a Heisman. If he gets 30 or 40 catches and he goes for 1,800 yards, on the, I mean, dude, that's insane, okay? So, and he can do it. I mean, we saw, you know, even in the Georgia game where it was – I mean, we didn't do anything well, but it was it was really his coming out party. He made some ridiculous catches. He was so dynamic. Um, he's a, he's the guy. He's the type of guy that can that can do that, and he can be utilized in the passing game. And it, you know, if I'm Brian, Brian Harson and I go back and watch the film, I know exactly you know who my offense can be based around, and then it should open up everything for everybody else, right? So we get Tank going, and, and everybody's got to focus in on Tank, especially in the passing game. What does that mean? I mean, it means single coverage a lot of times for everybody else. I mean, how can you double tank and double Seth? Or, well, you're not going to double tank, but how can you make sure you've got a proper matchup for tank, right? Because if Harson sees that tank is matched up on a linebacker, all right, in the pass game, well, what do you think we're going to do? We're going to run an angle route. We're going to run a wheel. We're going to run, you know, whatever we want to. We'll motion him out, see if the linebacker goes out with him, and then let him just, you know, cut him up. He looks like a pretty decent route runner. Get open and catch the football. So, if a defense wants to, you know, try to limit that as much as possible, then they've got to put a decent pass defender on him. It's just something else they've got to worry about. Well, what if the linebacker who was going to guard Tank, now he guards Calcaterra, all right, or, you know, Frazier or the new guy coming in the freshman, whoever. All right, well, now you, you might have a matchup there. Um, you know, and then, of course, if Seth comes back or if we have Shorts or anybody else on, you know, on the wide receiver position, Boise every year has had a 60-plus – Reception, 60-plus reception receiver. So somebody's going to get 60-plus catches next year, right? Or, you know, just something crazy happened. But you would assume somebody – so who's going to be that guy? Well, it could definitely be Seth if he comes back, all right? Um, so you got, you know, Seth with 60-plus receptions. you got Tank with 40. You've got Kyle Katero with 40. I mean, you're talking about some problems for a defense. And if you have that type of production, Bo Nix is going to throw for more than 3,000 yards. He's going to throw for more than 20 passing touchdowns. And he can run with his, you know, he can run it as well. So, to me, all this is positive. It all reflects what you see if you go and watch Boise State play football, you know, under Brian Harson. Um, and again, it just, you know, it's exciting. It, it to me, it, it tells a story of, again, Harson's going to come in. He's going to see what we have, and he's got the answers for taking the talent that we have and. and putting, designing an offensive scheme around the talent to put them in the best position to succeed. So that's what I think all this shows. You know, you've got a few things you might worry about, red zone, stuff like that, but I'm just excited to see it. Um, you know, again, this is how I kind of nerd out on this kind of stuff, and I figured somebody else might want to nerd out on it as well. So that's what today's episode was all about, statistical breakdown of Brian Harson's offense. Um, during his Boise State tenure, comparing it to you know, Auburn and what we've seen with Gus Malzahn. So hope you enjoyed it. Um, we'll be back soon with another episode. And um, until then, you guys uh, take it easy.